0: big a swing he is not a home run hitter even though he had a nice power year last year here's the one two coming and soto cranks it to deep right field forget that well that is way up in the coca-cola corner oh boy that wind blew it toward the line but it stays fair and soto hits his seventh home run of the year to put the Nats ahead one nothing and that was just crushed I have not seen one, uh, I believe, go up there on the plaza up above. (laughs) One of my favorite broadcast moments in a really long time. Keith Hernandez saying, Juan Soto's not really a home run hitter. Boom, (laughs) it leaves the stadium. I have never seen one hit up there. But, uh, you know, not a a home run hitter, Juan Soto. Uh, To talk some baseball with us from The Athletic, Eno Serris, what is your uh, what is your worst take ever that went immediately wrong, Eno? Do you have one? <laughs> oh,
1: oh, so many. I, I had to have <laughs> to figure that one out. I I've loved many a pitcher with great stuff and uh no command. And uh, I remember thinking that Alan Webster was gonna be uh <laughs> a future ace. And uh, I mean he's he's trying to hang on in the bullpen in Chicago but uh he's since been to like Korea and uh uh not not an ace
0: man <laughs> Pitchers, I I respect your ability to diagnose things with pitchers and break them down at a level that is just insane. And still, none of us know anything. Because I I felt the same way. I don't know about how many pitchers who have great arms and look like they should get it done. And maybe, maybe it's mental makeup or bad luck or injuries or whatever else, and it just doesn't happen. So there are many. But what I enjoy, you know, is that the invention of Twitter has made it very clear how wrong we are all the time. Because the other, <laughs> the other night after uh, Michael Pineda gave up three runs, I was like, oh, man, this Michael Pineda experiment not going so well. And then he didn't give up another run. And 15 people had to let me know that <laughs> got the wind nerd. Was like, man, yeah. it's a rough world out there. Yeah.
1: You know, I've been, I've been wrong about Michael Pineda too. And I think he's really interesting because you know, he has good command, I think, but then he gives up all these homers. Uh, I, I believe in the in the changeup, but he doesn't really use it, so he kind of ends up being a two-pitch pitcher. Uh, he's got this weird fastball; it's like a low-spin fastball that he tries to use up in the zone. So uh, he's a confounding guy, for myself.
0: Yeah. Well, my thing is, I like to watch the disposition of pitchers when they pitch. So I've talked about on the show that Lance Lynn, if I never see him pitch ever again, I'll be a happy person. It just drove me crazy. He was the most miserable baseball player ever. And with Pineda, he's he's like, what, 29 going on 47? He looks like Jamie Moyer used to look like he's shaking his arm out there and he looks like he's sad and in pain. And even when he makes it through six, like that was the most painful six innings I think I've ever seen.
1: Fernando, uh, Fernando Rodney, a little bit, but with less, with less fun. Yeah, Fernando Rodney Fernando was pretty funny. Rodney fun. in the body.
0: I, I will tell you, now this is, you and I have talked a little bit about Kyle Gibson before, and this is where we differ. You like what the uh, front office has done to change his pitching style, but I was talking with Jonathan about this the other day, is that he gets very frowny and sad when things go wrong, and we saw it just the other day when they were out there in Seattle. They had a chance to sweep, he's pitching fine, he gives up one fly ball home run, and then it was sad Kyle Gibson came along and it was moseying around the mound kind of head down muttering to himself and you just knew at that moment like oh it's it's going sideways and i don't know if there's anything analytically to back that up like frowns per nine innings but <laughs> but there there is there is definitely that part of it i think is where it's so hard to figure out you know no matter how many stats you have is what the mentality of the pitcher is
1: you know it's not just the pitcher themselves it's there is actually uh i was a psychology major there is a link in psychology between positive thinking uh not uh sort of not thinking about your fears and thinking about good outcomes so you know so that's, that's how i'm defining positive thinking um that uh that those are related to positive outcomes so um you know there's, there's a little bit of that but then there's it's not only the player the pitcher himself it's the rest of the team is taking cues from you in terms of how they're gonna act on defense and how they're gonna act when they come up to the plate. How good they feel about it. Because, you know, I remember I wish I I hope I can remember his name. Um oh John Lamb. Um I I, I really liked his stuff. And um, a member of his own front office said, uh ah, yeah, but you know, with his mound presence, you know, I don't, don't think it's gonna work out. And it was I think it was a similar thing where he felt so defeated that, um, you know, it kind of, the rest of the team took their cues from him. So, uh, I, you know, it's not something that necessarily comes up in numbers that we have on, you know, on a leaderboard on fan graphs, but uh, it is, uh, it is meaningful. For
0: you sure. know who I, I felt that way about was Shelby Miller. It seemed like every time I would watch Shelby Miller, Yadier Molina would be screaming in his face for some reason. It's like, you know, that can't be a, a really good sign. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, of pitching, you know now the Minnesota Twins are connected to every single pitcher that could potentially be traded over the next 20 years, and that's super fun for me because we could just talk about them every day. But if the Twins have their pick of the litter and they have the assets to make a trade for somebody who could be out there, the Bumgardeners, the Strowmans, and so forth, who are you picking?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Bumpgarn is interesting, uh, but I, I wonder how much is his home park. He's had, uh, you know, lesser road numbers over the years. Strowman has been pitching in the Rubicon. I mean, he's been pitching in the AL East in a hitters park. Um, and, but then he also has had some, uh, health issues. He's under control for longer. Um, uh, I think I would, I would actually maybe, uh, prefer Strowman just because I think he can suppress home runs, and I think that could be a big deal in in August. You know, uh, Depending on how a postseason rotation works out, he could be an amazing guy to come in, suppress home runs for three innings in the middle uh, of a game uh, in a short series, so depending on how you want to slot the rotation. So uh, I really like Stroman uh, out of those two names. I'm trying to think of other teams that might be selling, you know, the Reds. Uh, with Luis Castillo, but he's such a good uh, long-term asset for them, and they 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 got to feel like they're building a little bit. Um, well, you've you got know, the
0: the I, Mets are a disaster, right? So it's possible the, that they could move. Yeah, but
1: they're still so close to five hundred, and they're they're, they're probably going to be more like let's just uh, sell whatever's not nailed down and try again next year. Uh, I think the Tigers with Matt Boyd, uh, is, that's pretty interesting there. Um, they they could totally sell him and he's you know under control for a while. Uh, I don't know what they think internally of his stuff in Minnesota because he's another guy that's been pitching in more of a pitcher's park uh, and he does not have uh, even the velocity of a Bumgarner necessarily. So, um, but yet he's twenty eight, so he's younger than Bumgarner and he's under control longer. So that could be an option. I think I'd probably go with Stroman, <clears throat> given the three and given perhaps the cost.
0: Now I really like Stroman, and you mentioned the mound presence, and uh, I happened to see him. I'm going to try to drop one of these in every time as a Buffalo Bison uh, when he was coming up. And the thing that stuck out to me, though, you know, was uh, this: this guy's a little bulldog out there, but also extremely tiny. Like, okay, who put Nick Punto out there on the mound or something? You know, he looks like a middle infielder, and I I wonder: is there any research to back up? what the long-term outcomes are for pitchers who just aren't all that big. Tim Hudson went a really long time. He was pretty small. But there aren't too many guys that I could think of that were not uh, you know, big horses, 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", that lasted a really long time. I think I would be concerned about that.
1: Well, I, I took a long look at this, and I just tried to find correlations between height and things like uh, career innings uh, career strikeouts, velocity, that sort of thing, and I found nothing. Um, and I, I, my, my theory is this that once you make it to the big leagues, you figured something out. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're short, you have an awesome super sinker like Strowman. You, uh, you have a splitter like, uh, like Hudson. You, or it's command or whatever it is. You figured something out that mitigates the fact that you're short. You're a big leaguer, and you stay a big leaguer, and you're kind of in the same pot as everybody else as a big leaguer.
0: You know what I'd love to do on the show with you, Eno, is figure out something you haven't studied. Like, how fast (laughs) would Dallas Keuchel throw on the moon? Have you studied that? I'm sorry, I I I cut you off. You can finish the answer. (laughs) You can finish the answer, I'm sorry. It's just amazing how many things you've looked at.
1: The the last part of it is just... uh, I think it still might make sense to draft uh tall pitchers or, or when you're like looking at, at, at young people, because you are talking about filling out and frames that might add, you're talking about projecting those people out and you're thinking, Oh, well he throws 90 now, but he's six foot six and he's a bean pole. Let's see what he throws when we put an extra 25 pounds on there. So, you know, I think uh, when you're dreaming on somebody, it makes sense. When you're talking about major leaguers, I think it's overrated. Hmm. Uh, the athletics, for example, and the Phillies, uh, but mostly the athletics, they've for a long time have acquired and drafted short pitchers. They've had over the last decade, they've had more pitches thrown by short pitchers than anybody else. Um, and, you know, they famously found Sonny Gray, um, you know, who was a, a shorter pitcher. And uh hasn't had any problems yet. I mean he you know, he had to step back in, in New York, but it's a tough place to pitch.
0: Yeah, this happens in hockey too, you know, where um if you draft short players that score a ton in their juniors, a lot of times teams overlook them uh because they're just short and they're like, Oh, well, you know, he doesn't look the part, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have found wait for it. Lightning in a bottle, a couple times. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah. Draft, sorry, Jonathan, drafting the uh, the short guys. You um, know, uh, I'll just try to move on from that as quickly as possible. <laughs> when when is the right time to make a trade? Because it, when you're 32 and 16 and you're rolling and you're hitting the tar. Off the ball, even when you have guys like Nelson Cruz go out for a few games and Mitch Garver's out for a few games, it just doesn't seem to matter. Every time they're down a couple runs, we just assume they're going to win. So it's not like there's this pressing, you have to trade for a pitcher right freaking now. But when is the right time? Should they wait till the deadline? Should they just try to see what's out there now? Like when do teams get desperate to start making those moves?
1: You know, I, I think the deadline is, I think they should do it earlier because with the fact that there's no waiver period, there's no second chance. And you know, that might end up being a bloodbath at the deadline. Um, you know, at if you're talking to the Tigers and the Blue Jays, they know they're out of it now. Uh and they can they can make their you can they can make their calculations now. They don't need to worry about uh you know whether or not they're going to be be in it at, at the end of it. So I would be talking to as many teams as I want to talk now, and I would start now because uh, I don't want to be in there in the scrum uh, before a hard deadline that has never happened before.
0: Yeah, and with the Twins, they don't have to go crazy necessarily at that time, but they're a team that has not won in a very long time. And we were trying to think about it the other day. Like, when was the when was the last time we were talking about? twins as buyers as legitimate buyers and we had to go back to a really horrific trade in 2010 giving away wilson ramos for mad caps uh that did not work out so well but it's it's been there there is kind of a feeling now from twins fans of like hey when you've got a chance to win you should be stepping up and making moves of course without giving up someone like uh royce lewis um last thing and and
1: that's another thing with the way that penia has been pitching it may, uh, a, a name that doesn't really occur as a huge upgrade, you know, may end up being, uh, a small upgrade that works for the team and costs a lot less. I was just thinking of like a guy like Danny Duffy, depending on how much the Royals throw in on the contract or how much the Twins are willing to, to swallow, uh, um, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, a top liner. But maybe they're just—he uh, might be easier to move into the bullpen in the, in the postseason too. So you may have a dual, uh, dual use uh, guy like that. So uh, you know, I think that's a, that's the benefit of starting out too.
0: No, I, I think I think you're exactly right. And when you talk about um, the the lineup or the rotation and pushing someone down, um, you get Kyle Gibson being basically your fifth starter. And also, I just don't expect Odorizzi and Perez to have ERAs under three for the rest of their lives. So, you know, I, I think that we're getting really close to that time uh, where they should make a move. There was one more thing I wanted to ask you, you know, just a little bit of a... I, I want to know if it's kind of a trend or what what's, what's going on exactly here because with everyone focused on home runs all the time, my assumption was, well... Maybe we're going to say goodbye to the 300 hitter, you know, the guy who hits for batting average, wins batting titles. Uh, we'll never see another Tony Gwynn again, right? But I was looking it up and there's 28 guys who are hitting over 300. Like are, are players still finding ways to hit for average even though there is that emphasis and like what what is what is the value there of guys who can still do that, who could still hit you 315 or something like that? I
1: think the key here is the ball. There's evidence of the ball has changed again, and we've got uh, a rabbit ball like 2017, and it may be even different than that ball because it, it looks like it's going faster when you hit it. Uh, and it's going further. It always went further when you hit it, you know, when, the, when they first had that one. But now it looks like it's going faster when you hit it. So basically, the reward, the people that get rewarded are the people who get put the ball in play. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, you look at Tommy Lastella in in Anaheim. This guy has a 6% strikeout rate, and he'd never hit more than 10 homers before. I think he had like 10 in his career or something, and now he's got uh, 10 or 11 on the season, and he's ahead of Trout on this team. So that's the perfect guy for this ball, is put the ball in play. And if you look at those guys that are hitting 300, they're all guys that have really good strikeout rates. No, Cody right. Bellinger yeah. really cut it to 14%. Jorge Polanco's at 15%. Mel Cabrera, Jeff McNeil, 10%. So that's the key. And it's really the key, I think, for a lot of uh, team improvements. And so the Cardinals made a big deal out of trying to cut their strikeout rate. The Astros and the Cubs, when they went to the World Series and won it all, those were big years. In fact, the Astros are the biggest year-over-year improvement in strikeout rate, the year they won it all, uh, in, in I think, in the history of baseball. So, Uh, You know, that's the the key now. Since the ball is flying, collect as many lottery tickets as you can. Put the ball in play. Uh, And that's that's the last key.
0: I like that the baseball has justified one of my long disagreements with Sabermetric slash Analytic Twitter, which always told me strikeouts were fine. And that drove me crazy. Like, (laughs) strikeouts are not fine. You know, I I remember having the hottest take in my life when I said if it was a, a runner on second base with a game on the line, give me Cesar's Torres over Ryan Howard because I could strike out Ryan Howard pretty easily. Maybe that's a terrible yeah. take, but Cesar's Torres was one of those like put the ball in play guys. I'm not saying that that's a real take now, but that that whole thing of, "Oh, you know, it's strikeouts, they're just regular outs, it's okay." I, it always drove me nuts.
1: No, there there's a there's a lot of evidence that first of all that in the postseason contact is even more important because contact uh, plays better against high velocity. Hmm. Um, so you, you, I think you're right about that example. It's like, you know, put the ball in play. The other thing is we, I think we said, we said for a while, okay, uh, a ground out is the same as a strike out. In fact, there's negatives uh, with the ground out, a possible double play that don't exist with the strike out. So in terms of straight value, a ground out equals a strike out, And some people took that and said, Ah, awesome. So let's go get a bunch of strikeout guys. That's fine. It's the same thing. But if you thought about it from the pitching side, we're optimizing for strikeouts from the pitching side. Why would we give in? And when you think about it from the pitching side, you say, well, the batting average on a ball in play is 300. The batting average on a strikeout is zero.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That was always my thing, is that even if if the guy just puts it in play, you've always got that chance where it's going to roll through somewhere or drop in, whereas Ryan Howard striking out 200-plus times. That was, I mean, Adam Dunn didn't. Uh, play for losing teams all the time just because of Adam Dunn. But it was the same sort of thing. Like, he would come up with runners on base and strike out in four pitches. Like, that didn't look okay to me. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So well, I, Good, good
1: teams can have a couple guys. Good teams can have a Miguel Sono. Good teams can have a couple guys that strike out a lot. But the great teams... Um, will pepper, we'll, we'll surround that guy with a lot of contact for exactly the reasons you're saying.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad that you could break that down for me. Eno, I always enjoy when you stop by. I think we have a lot of fun, so I look forward mm-hmm. to talking to you again soon.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, man. That's Eno Saris. You can follow him uh, on Twitter at E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. He writes for The Athletic. And everything you heard there is what it's like to read Eno Saris. He has researched Every single thing that's ever happened in baseball, everything you're ever curious about, he has looked into it. He I think there, I what, I sought out Eno to have him on the show on a weekly basis because I just really love his work. So make sure you check that out at the athletic. All right, so in 20 minutes, we have a really blazing hot trade rumor about the Minnesota Wild. And in an hour almost, about 3.30, then we're going to have Lexi Brown of the Minnesota Lynx. They uh, traded for her this offseason, so we're going to chat with her as well. And as I was looking over at your TV, Jonathan, I discovered a player who I saw and broadcast games for as a hitter in the New York Penn League who is now warming up in the bullpen as a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, (laughs) Rowan Wick. As a member of the State College Spikes, listen to this, in 35 games, hit 14 homers and hit 378 in single A. 378 with a 475 on-base percentage, 14 homers in 35 games. This guy lit up the New York Penn League in 2014 like I've never seen. And then the following year, they sent him up to the next level and he hit 198. And then they made him into a pitcher and here he is. On my TV, this is it's so great when this happens. Get another random person in baseball that you've called their games for. I, I know <laughs> because I, they're just all getting there now. They were single A guys in 2013, yeah. 2014. So now I look up on the TV, it's like Rowan Wick. I texted my wife during an Eno answer. I was like, Rowan Wick is pitching on TV, and she knew what I was talking about. <laughs> yep, that happened. So he, that's. I have nowhere to go with that other than I get super excited when I see guys who uh, played in the minor leagues who are now in the big leagues. He's Canadian. Okay, we'll come up with something to talk about for a few minutes and then that hot trade rumor with Lindsey Brown and Declan Goff and uh, then some basketball talk with Lexi Brown. So lots to come still here on Score North Live.